0: Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Taylor Blair, a third grade teacher from Central California, as we'll be discussing social emotional learning. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Today's guest is Taylor Blair, a third grade teacher from Central California. And first of all, how are you doing? Today was your, you know, your last day of school until you know, until next year. So hope you're doing well.
1: Hey, yeah, I'm doing good. Just hanging in there. Finally, officially on <laughs> winter break. So could not be better.
0: <laughs> that's good. That's good. So I got to bring this up. So earlier today, you had a little poll on your Instagram. And I think you were dressed up as a treat, right? And it was picture day, right? Yeah. <laughs> So what were the results? You said you were either dressing up as an elf or as a tree, right? And those were your two options.
1: So actually, um, Tuesday, I believe. So this whole week I've just dressed up as like Christmas to the max. And so Tuesday I dressed as an elf and that was picture day for my hybrid group A kids. And Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize it was picture day that day either. So I just showed up as an elf and I was like, all right, sick, we're going to have an elf in the yearbook. Then today I had group B kids. And they're like, it's picture day for group B kids. I'm like, well, now I'm a freaking Christmas tree. So what's better? Should I do an elf or should I be my extravagant Christmas tree? And we had 87 votes for the tree, 48 votes for the elf and... I just took both pictures, so we'll see which one they chose or if I get both.
0: <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, you should. I'll be funny. Make sure you have a good word with the, you know, the yearbook editor to see whichever yeah. one they choose.
1: <laughs> and I'll definitely post it on my Instagram once I get my pictures. Good, okay, okay.
0: good. So yeah, you and I are both from California, and it has been crazy to say the least. I know, I think you were in a transition where it was... Online, then hybrid, right? And then just, it's been going a lot of back and forth, right?
1: Well, for me, it was purely online. And then in November, we finally decided to do hybrid. And uh, it has been like a game changer. And then there was talk about after Christmas, taking a two-week quarantine thing. Um, But my thing is, I'm just afraid if we shut that door, will it reopen, you know? And um, with our kind of family dynamics at the school, it wouldn't change anything, even if we did a two week quarantine. So it's kind of like, let's just keep the ball rolling.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's good. I mean, uh, you know, I have teacher friends over in good old Orange County where they decided to bring the students back in and then COVID cases went up. So then it shut down immediately after a week. And I, I'm really curious to know how it's going to be back in January when they, you know, whatever they decide to do.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Yeah. I don't know what you guys are doing, but for us, like, we take, like, temperature checks at the gate. So, like, they can't even step on campus unless they, like, have zero symptoms and, like, no temperature.
0: Wow, that's... Well, so, that's I great. feel like
1: that kind of cuts a lot because it's not, like... So, technically, if they get caught at the gate, they were never on campus. So, therefore, it doesn't count as, like, a anyone was necessarily, like, infected, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: don't know okay. about the gray area. But
0: I don't know what we're doing. No, that's good. That's good. So I mean, with you know all, all the craziness has been going on, like COVID, you know, COVID nineteen pandemic, um, you know, things are getting worse here in California. I and mean, I know the vaccine just got approved. Um, you know, it'll still be a while before the majority of the population gets it. But I mean, what do you do to distress and just you know shake it all loose? What do you do?
1: Um. Well, so my boyfriend owns a gym. And so even though it's closed, we can still go just us. So I'm still able to work out, you know, and go on walks. I go visit my parents' dog. And that's really kind of about it. Just kind of do my own thing. I like doing my YouTube videos, editing. And that's just kind of like a stress relief in a way. Whatever gets my mind out of whatever's like going on, I guess.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. And I also need to, I got to congratulate you on a big milestone. You recently cleared your credential, right? Yeah. Yeah. How, how'd you celebrate that?
1: Um, so here's the thing. I'm actually terrible at like celebrating the big things that should be celebrated. So Mm -hmm. I pretty much just had like dinner with like different people. Like I had like dinner with like my mom and dad. And then it's like my aunt and uncle took me out to dinner. And like me and my boyfriend, like we had our own little fancy dinner. So like nothing extravagant, but just like nice cheersing people and saying, good job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Did you tell you students or no?
1: Uh no, I don't think they'd get it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: they "You weren't a teacher before." It's like, nah, I was just showing up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just faking it the whole time. <laughs> <get> it. <laughs> 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 no, it did uh, get mind blown for them. But you know, now that you cleared your All credential, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now that you cleared your credential, further down the line, would you want to be a mentor or a master teacher for guess, candidates?
1: Um, yes, I think that it'd be really awesome to be a mentor, master teacher. I eventually want to go into admin. So I feel like I have to do the mentor thing. And plus, I just think it'd be really fun and being able to like help a first year teacher. My goodness, I needed so much help and my mentor saved my butt. So I would love to do that for someone else, you know?
0: Okay, that's nice. That's good. good. I mean, for, you know, for those new teachers out there, here's a little... Uh, you know, background. So the induction program is usually like a two-year program um, and it can get quite expensive for those of you who are lucky enough or the district pays for you. That's great. I'm sure there's a lot of teachers that are jealous. Um, if not, I'm talking here in like the Los Angeles area. This is a LACO, which is the Los Angeles County of Education. The induction program costs about $4,000 a year. And again, it's a two-year program. So you, know, you can see how it adds up. Um, but it's quite expensive. And, you know, with that being said, how would you, how would you rate your overall like experience with your credential or with your induction program?
1: So, um, I was actually one of the lucky ones where my district paid for the induction. However, there was, there ended up being a mix up between like stuff that was, I figured everything I was doing was induction. Therefore, the classes that I took, I couldn't get units for, therefore I couldn't move up on the pay scale. So to me, I would have rather paid and gotten all my units and moved up on the pay scale. So it really just depends on where you're at. If you're someone who like has the money to like rough it and do it, it's worth it because you get all those units and that's going to transfer to money in your pocket on salary.
0: Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. On the, on the pay scale with the units. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, being completely honest, my overall experience with the credential program is it is just busy work. Um, <laughs> didn't, there was a couple classes where I'm like, all right, like I feel like I learned a lot, but uh, my mentor was just so amazing that I feel like I learned so much from her. I guess if I didn't have her, these classes I might have felt more enlightened. But for me, truthfully, I just felt like it's just more hoops for us to jump through and more money for us to pay.
0: Yeah. So I I did my credential program through Cal State Long Beach and it was a cohort style program. Two years. Um, I was in a thing called the Urban Dual Credential Program. So it was two credentials at the same time. So it was usually on four years, they crammed in two years and it was brutal. (laughs) It was really (laughs) brutal. (laughs) But I mean, I'm glad I I did it, Um, you know. Uh, so yeah I mean I would recommend that to those who definitely you know know in their heart that they want to go that route they want to do the you know two credentials at the same time because you know if not it's not it's not it's not not for the faint of heart I'll say that
1: (laughs) (laughs) so what are your credentials in
0: uh, multiple subject and special ed so uh ms
1: your heart
0: Yeah, so, um, and then on top of that, while doing, you know, the credential, you know, program, usually how I think it's one semester student teaching. For us, it was two semester student teaching. And then prior to that, like the first year, we were in the classroom, I think two or three, two or three times out of the week. So, I mean, you know, we went from the classroom to our curriculum college classes and you know repeat the thing all over again uh, Monday through Friday so Gee. Again, it was rough but uh, again for for those who know in their heart this is the route they want to go to then definitely you do it because you know what gets done in four years you get done in two years so yeah. yeah but you actually you actually attended a National University can you tell me about the pros and cons about that
1: okay so <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay. Well, pros national university is online and the classes are very simple. I knew exactly what to expect in every course. It was always, there was a weekly discussion where I needed to post like three sentences about something and reply back to two other people with three sentences minimum. I knew that there was always going to be like an essay thing that was due every two weeks, you know, so very little work. So if you are working and doing school at the same time, it's awesome. The con is uh, pretty sure the teachers read none of your work. So it doesn't matter what you turn in, but therefore you will get a good grade. So I found out very easy, like trying my hardest. I'm like, okay, this is an A. And then one, I, for my final, I turned in probably, can we cuss on this thing?
0: Uh, you can use a alternative word.
1: Oh, okay, I turned in the worst paper I've written in my academic career and I got 100% still. And I was like, what the heck have I been doing? Um, and it is very expensive. So it's more of a, do you value your time or do you value money more and decide that way? Hmm. Okay. Um also there are people who do a I have friends who did a combined bachelor and credential route and it messed them up because they couldn't officially receive their bachelor's degree until they finished their credential. Therefore they couldn't take their C Best and they couldn't sub. Oh, wow. Yes. And I did a combined credential and master's program, but with that, there's zero problem. You get your credential once you're done. It has zero effect, I guess, with like the master's thing, but definitely don't do the combined bachelors and credentials.
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually... Funny that you mentioned it. So for my credential program, it was, it's called ITEP, which is an integrated teaching education program. So, yeah, you could do your bachelor's and your credential at the same time. Or if you do post back, where, you know, after your degree, you come in after you're getting your degree and then you do the teacher's uh, program. Mm-hmm. So I will say the benefit for those who did the ITEP or the, you know your credential and your degree at the same time you continue getting financial aid because technically you're an undergraduate as opposed to those who did post back. Uh, There's still financial aid, but, you know, it was just it wasn't uh, as much as you were if you were uh, applying as an undergraduate. So
1: I don't know how exactly that worked out, what loophole that fell under.
0: But. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. I mean, and the biggest the biggest complaint I had about my credential program, and I almost everyone will agree with this, is while you're student teaching, you are not getting paid. So, yeah, that's, that's the biggest complaint. And I, I know there's this new like teaching preparation program called like these residency programs, um, pretty popular with the CSUs. I think they're in 12 out of the 23 campuses. So basically with these residency programs, You're a co-teacher with a master teacher and the best part is you get paid, you know, either with a stipend or a scholarship. And it's a full year program. Usually they partner up with an urban or high school needs uh, area that teach ELL, um, English language learners, special education or bilingual bilingual credentials. So like the high needs area and the selling point for the districts that do partner up is, uh, is you know, at the end of the credential program, hopefully they can recruit these teachers um, in this area. So these high quality teachers, um, especially when there's shortages um, in special, edu- special education and bilingual and en- English language learners. And they get to recruit these highly qualified and diverse teachers. Would you have liked to participate in a program like this?
1: Uh, so actually with National, I guess this is a pro. They have a certain port or certain parts in the program where you have to choose if you want to do student teaching or if you want to do intern. And the student teaching route is like you were explaining. You are pretty much in the classroom for such a big chunk of time, but you're not getting paid. And there is the chance that I've had friends say that they did student teaching to kind of learn. And the teacher pretty much just ended up like, cool, you're doing my job for me, (laughs) you know. Um, But I ended up, jumping in, getting thrown to the wolves. And I did intern and just figured I will figure out how to swim, you know? So technically, uh, I did that. So I was able to get paid. I had my own classroom and it was one of those things where I walk in my first day and I'm like, who the heck decided that I could be in charge of like 26 little kids? Like what? In the I'm a child. Like why? How is <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh,
0: that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Trial by fire then. Yeah. <laughs> but if you
1: have uh, what I have heard though, if you do have the time, if money again, isn't an issue, definitely go for student teaching. I feel like a lot of the anxiety is removed and you learn a lot. Um, rather than just a very high anxiety, but at the same time, I feel like I had two years of experience in one year and I was like much more confident going in my second year and so
0: on. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Good advice for uh, all those thinking about, you know, whatever pathway they choose. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jump into our first topic again. that is social emotional learning. So actually, there is a There was a national study that was published earlier this year, I think in May 2020, and it was funded by the Bill and Melinda Foundation. So I think there's roughly about 400,000 students um, that are in the study, and this is basically to explore the connection between social-emotional skills and the student outcomes. And before I jump into the results of the study, I'm just curious, do you incorporate a lot of social-emotional learning in your classroom?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say so. I think... Uh, I think naturally more than planned. I mean, of course there's some like outlines and planned social, emotional learning, but I, w- I want to say that if you're a teacher who's focused on building relationships, there's going to be a lot of social, mo- emotional learning that you're automatically doing.
0: Yeah, good. I mean, and yeah, you have the luxury of having the kids in person. I'm teaching completely via distance learning and I try my best to incorporate the social emotional learning throughout the day. Like for example, like so self-co- self-coping strategies mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I can't expect my students to learn if they're not emotionally, you know, there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, for you, how do you approach like social emotional uh, learning? Um,
1: well, I, like I mentioned, like mostly just really building a relationship with them. We talk a lot about feelings and my main focus is providing them vocabulary, expanding on, you know, we know happy, sad, angry, but expanding on that and giving them the vocabulary. Cause as long as they, if they have the vocabulary, they're less likely to act out, you know, children and adults mostly just act out when they don't know the right words to express how they feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good point. I definitely. I mean, I I teach TK1 special education. And so morning circle is where I try and incorporate the most out of this, like the emotions and the feelings. And, uh, yeah. And so, uh, that's how in the morning circle. So I offer various ways for the students to respond because um, I have students that are nonverbal, and I, I try yeah. to accommodate to everyone's comfort level. Um, you know, sometimes students have their cameras off and I try and take the time to let the students know that it's OK to feel their feelings. So, for example, uh, in the morning circle, I have a, a section where it's like this morning I feel and then sad, mm-hmm. happy, tired, silly, you know, whatever it is. And. I I let the students know that it's okay to feel upset or sad or tired um, because, you know, I don't want, I'm not looking, yes, it would be nice to have every student say they're feeling happy, but I also let them know, like, oh, it's okay to feel sad, my friends. It's okay to feel tired. Um, Absolutely. I, I let them know that and I t- let them know they, oh, I'm, I'm feeling tired too my friends oh I feel angry or upset if I if I didn't get to eat this morning or I didn't get to eat breakfast and I let them know that and I use icons but I also try to incorporate uh, you know real life pictures or even have times where all right, friends show me a happy face or show me a silly face so that they know mm. what a real upset or angry face looks like and that's that's one of the many ways I try and do social emotional learning
1: yes have you seen the uh they're like the grids and it's like which dog do you feel like today or that? And it shows like all the like uh still frames of them doing weird stuff my kids love those
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I Yeah, I, I try and, yeah, just me it's just exposure exposure them as as many feelings as i can like for example i have a i have several of my students who are sick but they don't uh you know it's not in their vocabulary to say that they are feeling sick Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to like in the morning i say all right my friends are you feeling happy you know sick or tired because these kids they're they're sick and they don't know how to express it and so every time i have them in the morning they'll say tissue and then they'll they'll have a tissue you know blowing their nose and i I want them to know all right all Right, friends, you're you're sick right now. You have a stuffy nose. You are sick. Yeah. So, trying to help them expand their vocabulary, kind of like you said.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I use a number scale, Um, just showing them. Okay, out of one to five, how do you feel? And I'll say like one, you know. And sometimes I'll just be like, not good at all, you know. With two, little better. Three. Like chilling, neutral, four, pretty good, five, like outstanding. And just seeing that different range. And I tell them to the importance of like putting that number on their chest. So like with their one hand, show me what number and put that on your chest. And to recognize what you're feeling, but then also we're quietly looking around to see how our friends are feeling. And then I would give them like, okay, we're going to call on three people. So I would pick one person and then they would tell me how they're feeling. And then they got to pick a friend and then they would tell me, so we would kind of do that to share and be able to give it more of like a scale, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah.
0: That's good. That's good. I like that. And then I know I got a comment on one of your most recent recent vlogs on YouTube. Um, so it was pure entertainment. I think it is where you were teaching the structure the structure of folktale, and just from the video alone, I know some parts were sped up, but it was quite obvious the students were loving it. Um, they're definitely learning, and you were very you were being very executive <laughs> And you yeah. gotta tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> You got to tell me more about this technique. Cause you know, you're very expressive and I'm just curious do you use this across all content areas.
1: Um, it's kind of new and honestly, I think it just stems from this year. I just being so genuinely excited that I have kiddos in my classroom, you know? And so when we're reading a story, a lot of the time they don't get super into it and reading the past stories online, they're not really getting into it. So I, by me being silly and making this extravagant, you know, they actually remember our objective, you know, and I think that they have a lot of fun and it's also just teaching them to be silly, to exaggerate these things that it's funny and like it's okay. Like when I first did it, I don't remember if it showed necessarily the video, but they were really just kind of laughing at me and like too shy to do anything. And by the next day, they were like standing up, like going for it. And like I just showed how excited I was that they were doing it with me. And we just showing that this is fun and it's fun to be silly and we're learning. So, um, so definitely with reading has become a new thing. It's now a game. Like this week we did narrative writing and they're like, how are you going to act that one out? I'm like, I don't know yet, but we're going to figure it out together. <laughs> so we we're like, we're like, Oh, they're like, for narrative, we should do this move. And for this, we should do that. So now it's become like a full class of event of how we're going to act out this boring objective, you know?
0: Yeah. Wow. So I have a confession to make. So I got to admit, so in the beginning of the school year, when we first started off and it was via distance learning,
1: Uh
0: I had a really, really, really hard time uh, having consistency. So basically I would start off really strong. Hi, friends. Hello. Like all that high energy. Mm And then my energy just kinda like died down by by midday and I I didn't I didn't have the stamina. I wish I had the stamina of a boxer, you know, lasting all twelve rounds, but I just you know, after after morning circle and after ELA, I was pretty much like pooped. I was tired and I still had to do math and I still had to do music, I still had to do art and like the small groups, but I just I had such a hard time trying to keep that energy up throughout the whole day, but it is the opposite for you. You have so much energy, so
1: oh, no, what's no, the no. secret? No, 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 so <laughs> it is Fake it till you make it. And there's a lot of times, like, especially this week, because it was so close to break that I would end up giving our break five minutes early just because I can't fake it anymore, you know? And so I'm like, all right, we're going on break. And like, as soon as I turn off that camera and meet myself, it's just like, oh, like (laughs) completely drained. And like today, I actually vlogged a little bit today. And I almost just freaked the heck out because I don't know how to turn my speakers off. I'm not dumb. I like I'm literally muting everything I possibly can and turning on the volume on everything. And yet my kids are still unmuting and like their mic, some of them are broke. So it's just blaring. And I'm just like, I just want silence. So I've definitely been there. There's definitely parts, especially with the distance learning because our hybrid we're in person with our hybrid kids eight to 11. And then we're online 1145 to 245. And those are like the longest three hours. And again, just like you explained, uh, it's not consistent. I don't have the stamina. Like I try and I try to fake that because I want them. I want to show that I'm excited for them too, you know? Um, But at the same time, we have to be real with our kids because just like we're trying to show our kids, hey, we don't have to be happy and 100% every time all day you know it's it's good to show them that too
0: yeah i definitely yeah so you know something teachers won't admit but yeah you definitely do have to fake it till you'll make it oh yeah (laughs) 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 actually yeah and so going back to the results uh of that study yeah. so even though it was just published i think earlier this may in 2020 the data was actually from 2017 to 2018 And so basically they found out that there was you know statistically significant consistent relationship between social emotional skills and academic outcome so a little bit of background information um the focus of the study was, you know, schools that serve predominantly students of color and students from low income families from grades 3rd uh, to 10. And the data included information on a little over 38,000 students across 326 schools and 28 cities across 20 states so lots of good diversity in that data and the partnership was with the city year and i think it allowed city year to work with these schools to provide one-on-one small group instruction in english and in math and they also embedded the social emotional supports there and so there was extended day activities like homework assistance and enrichment clubs to help serve the community and you know one of the big findings was that Students who moved up one level on the social emotional skills, um, and this was measured by uh, DESA, I think, basically the direct student uh, strength assessment, basically was equivalent to gaining one entire school year of achievement in growth in math or English. So, for those who don't know, DESA is basically a standardized social emotional learning assessment that measures the social and emotional uh, competence of students K through eight. And if you're wondering what about high school as well, there's also the DESA for high school as well, for 9 through 12. And as you can see, one level moving up on the, on the DESA was equivalent to one whole school year of achievement in either math or ELA. Uh, with all that being said, what do you think about that?
1: I think, duh! <laughs>
0: uh,
1: just Maslow before Bloom, man. Like, our kids need to have our, their basic needs met. And just look out into the world today. Like you can have the smartest people. If you have gotten A's and math and ELA and everything, but you don't have social emotional skills. You can't read the room. You can't understand how you're feeling, what to do, how to read other people. You're not going to get the job, you know, or you're not going to be able to hold the job because it's much more than just the academic itself. It's about the person. And by focusing on that SEL, you're focusing on the person you're focusing on yourself. And the more that you can understand yourself and grow that social, emotional intelligence, the more you're going to recognize that in someone else. And so yeah, you're focusing on yourself. We're focusing on building out with our kids, and therefore, that's building a stronger community.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we got to focus on uh, the SEL first. You know, if my kids come in, log in, or, like they are coming crying because they're, they're hungry or they're just upset, I can't be like, all right, all right, guys, I'm, who's ready for addition? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, so, you know, I'll let them know, all right, friends, if you need you know, I'll take a break, take a break, you know, and then come back in five or um, 10 minutes, whenever you're ready. So, really. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good point. And what's crazy to me is that there's only a handful of states that actually have like statewide standards for social, emotional learning. And this is insane because there's just so much research and data and studies and like document benefits for students who, like, who receive like social, emotional learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think there's not more states that have like statewide standards for uh, SEO?
1: I think that it's just, it's because, comes such a new thing. You know, it was always we're robots and we're just trying to get good grades to go onto the game of being the adult world. And now we're realizing we have people who have done well in school who aren't doing well in real life. Why is that? Or are struggling in real life? Why is that? You know? So I think we're kind of just now realizing, oh, this is actually where some problems stem from and what can we do to fix that? And so I think in the future we will definitely end up having standards for social emotional learning. Like this is the year that I've heard about it the most. So I think Mm -hmm. that we're on the right path.
0: Yeah. And uh, I guess there'll be another uh, checkup list for those uh, new teachers for their uh, <laughs> for their induction wow. program and teacher preparation program as well.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of, though. I'm almost afraid of if we make it standards that need to be checked off that teachers will end up treating it just like a checklist that needs to be checked off, you know? So it's almost kind of something that it needs to naturally come from the heart. And there's a difference between, Hey, I really want to focus on this with my kids. I think it's super important and like learning about it and having strategies. So like going to, you know, courses and stuff like that. But I'm kind of afraid of once it becomes a standard that it's now something like, oh, great, this is another thing we have to do. And then the heart's taken out of it. Then that's not going to be effective.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Going back to study, there's another key finding that was in the, you know, that they found that students with stronger social emotional outcomes had better academic outcomes. And this was in terms of course grades, achievement tests, and, you know, of indicators of high school graduation. So as you can see, it was all grade levels that benefited from the ESA, uh, SEL. And I know you work only with elementary grade students, but, you know, high schoolers who were at risk also benefited from this. And one thing that I think is often overlooked is the connection between attendance and you know, SEL and the study basically found that you know the more hours the students receive from the city or AmeriCorps members basically receiving all that social emotional learning, then there was a higher attendance rate as well. And no, this makes sense. (laughs) So with higher, yeah, so with higher attendance, you know, it leads to higher academic outcomes. You have a strong, I guess, social emotional learning support team growing up when you were younger.
1: Um. I'm assuming I did because I didn't feel like there was a lack of, you know, I feel like, you know, if you were missing something, right, you, you feel alone, you feel like I'm having these emotions that no one understands, or no one gets me. And it's this whole thing. So I feel like because I didn't feel that I've always been pretty wild and weird as a child. So therefore, I felt comfortable. <laughs> to do so. So therefore, I think I did. You know, and but that's amazing with the study and just makes so much sense, especially more so with high schoolers, because they're most likely the ones who have been who have felt alone and misunderstood for so long. You know, so by focusing on that, you are building relationships with these kids and teaching them how to, you know what they're feeling's okay. And that this is natural. So I am not surprised at all that those kids started showing up once they started feeling like someone actually cared about them.
0: <laughs> okay. I like how you admit you had a weird, uh, childhood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had a pretty normal childhood. I was just weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So I mean, also in the study, there was a few practices that they publish and that they you know asked districts and teachers to consider, and they divided it as practices for both the classroom and at the school level. And maybe you implement some of these, but basically, starting with the classroom practices, the first one was to encourage students to develop their own classroom norms and like basically work time expectation based on the um, SEL and academic competencies that are being taught. So. Basically, whatever uh, uh, social emotional learning competencies you want to focus, have the students create the norms and classroom expectations to meet those competencies. For example, if you have students, uh, if you want your students to focus on expressing their feelings in a healthier way, you know, instead of like yelling or throwing something across the room, have them use their words. Or all right, friends, take a break or take a breath, um, things like that. Do you have classroom rules or maybe even routines that help with the Sel.
1: So my first two years I taught first grade um, and my God, that was a math. <laughs> yes. So we had a, um, I call it take five. I just said like, yep, take five. And that meant that they could grab a tissue and they would go in our library. And that was kind of like our little safe spot without it being called a safe spot. It was just really cozy back there, you know, and it was always like, take your five. And then that would give me enough time to get my class situated. And then they knew I was going to go back there and talk to them. And I actually took a course or something where they helped us. uh, It was take five and there was like five questions. So I had those posted back there. Granted, the kids couldn't read them, but pictures that kind of helped them out. So they knew I was going to ask um, these five questions and it kind of helped them learn, okay, I'm going to go back here and be able to calm down. And I need to start thinking about what happened that made me feel this way. How am I feeling? How did I react? Is there a way I could react better? And by the time, cause it tends to be the same kids that have these breakdowns. So they ended up getting part of their routine of knowing what questions to ask themselves because I was going to go ask them. I see. Uh still some that would still run and run under my table and unplug all my cords anyway, so <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I sort of have it I really should have changed it by now I really should change my classroom rules more, uh, like, uh, social emotional learning um, for example I just have calm hands as one of mine like if they get upset or trying to throw something at our friends calm hands reminding of that uh, I also have quiet mouth so instead of yelling alright show me you know, quiet mouth um, I really should be changing it right now, but a second strategy that the study recommends is implementing a check-in, check-out system, and you might recognize it by a different name, but basically it is at the beginning of class, you go for behavior expectations, you can have a behavior chart up at the front, um, you know, make sure we follow the directions, make sure we listen, et cetera, make sure we don't interrupt, something like that. And then while the students are working, you take note of their behavior, taking data. And then at the end, you check in with the student to self-reflect and see whether or not the student agrees uh, whether their behavioral goals were met. So you ask the student, All right, how do you think you did? Did you meet your goals? And then they self-reflect and you can go over your notes and basically see how they did. And usually if the student met their expectations, then they get a reward or a token and if not then you can provide feedback how they can do better next time Mm -hmm. have you used something like this before
1: uh yeah again with with my first graders uh we would have a sticker chart and for some it was all about the stickers and for some (laughs) they didn't care about the stickers but the same thing was at hand you know so it would be okay we're focusing on our crying. So what we do when we're upset, it's okay to cry, but do we have to yell and scream and distract others? Because then we're taking from other people's learning. And is that what we want? You know, and, um, Yeah, but being able to watch and I would give them, okay for the next, it started off with five minutes. If they could accomplish that goal for five minutes, they would get, you know, a sticker and then it would be talked to like, hey, we're doing great. Like, let's move it up to 10 minutes, you know, and then 15. So eventually we're expanding that goal and reaching it and, you know, and then adding something else in there. So but it was a more natural way for them to monitor themselves and learn to ask the right questions, you know.
0: I like that. So, you know, adapt with, you know, their progress and, you know, if they were meeting this benchmark, you know, let's move up. the Let's move up the scale. So see, you know, so see how much you can handle.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be hard at first, no matter what. But it's also showing them you have control. You know, you can do this. You thought five minutes was hard and look at us doing 10. You know, and we can have rough days where it's a little hard to do that. But we know how to handle those rough days, you know, and we know that that we can do hard things.
0: So hmm. yeah. that's good. I like that. Um, I mean, another thing that the study recommended was creating safe spaces or basically I think how early you mentioned that areas dedicated for you know, reflection and I'm not saying like a shima corner or a timeout corner, but think of a break area where a student needs to cool down or take a break, um, particularly maybe a lot of sensory items. For example, right, you know, with special ed, I have a lot of se- like a sensory corner or something that helps calm them down. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a break area or maybe even just a procedure where if a student needs to take a break, they know what to do?
1: Um, again, in first grade, we had that that corner, um, which wasn't just it was our library, and you know they were able to take a book and read if they wanted to, and uh, it became a routine that they knew that they could go back there. All they had to do was kind of like point, and I would give them the nod of like yeah, okay. And then my third graders, I've only had like a couple that have had issues like that. And it has been a, it started off with like, okay, you're going to go here and we're going to do this to where, but eventually I don't want them feeling like they can't calm down if they're not in their special corner, you know, because in real life we don't have safe spaces just around, you know, to be able to create your own safe space. And what does that mean for you? What do you need for that to happen? And so I really try to And granted third grade is older too, but it eventually goes to, what do you need? What do you think you need to do? Do you need to go to the bathroom and just take a walk, get a drink of water? Do you need quiet where you want headphones and to sit in this corner? Like do what you need to do. And then we're going to talk about it because yeah, again, I just don't want them dependent on like, if I don't have my safe space, I don't know how to calm down, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, in the real world, I don't always have a safe space. I can't just like walk out. All right, guys, uh, teach yourself. I'm going to go to my safe space. I'll be back.
1: It's like I have a safe space in my classroom. I can't be crawling (laughs) under my desk just there.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so those are the classroom strategies. But as far as the school strategies, they recommended more professional development on SEL and relationship building, and also trauma informed practices. Yeah. But the one that I do like is encouraging and incorporating student voice in creating and implementing these like school wide discipline policies. So basically, this gives the student that buy in in their academics and also helps build like a sense of community, like they're helping create that school culture as well. So in some schools, they have student councils that help with this. Oh, man. I see all the benefits of that. But I would also not just make um, this exclusive just for those members of the student council, but also just get input from the whole school in general. Um, does your school have something like this, like a student council that helps implement certain school policies?
1: Uh, no, n- not at all. Um, but it pretty much goes down the line. So it's like our third graders, they're the big kids on campus, you know? And so it's like, Hey, you know, everyone's looking up to you. Like, what are, what are you doing? Are you following the rules? Are you being a, a good example? You know? And then second graders, it's like, Oh well, third grade's kind of looking, and you know, first is looking up at you, and then it's like for the little ones, kinder and first, it's like, oh, you gotta show those big kids who's boss. You gotta show them that you know the rules and you can do this and all this stuff. So it kind of just all works that way for us. That's how it's kind of worked, and then just sticking together, like we're we're a family, you know. And um, I tell mine, our thing is we build each other up, not break each other down and we need to stand by that and protect each other. If you see someone else that doesn't know our rule, maybe they're from a different class, Teach them the rule, you know? And I've had that happen before where my kids are chanting, we build each other up, not break each other down. And I'm like, oh no, what are they doing? But turns out someone was bullying someone that wasn't even in our class and they just decided, I don't know what to do, but I know this is what I should be doing. I know I should be building someone up so they at least and that, and I gets the point across. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Back in my youth days, I know the teachers, I, I see it kind of as a shame, kind of like, like shaming the other students. But for example, uh... Uh, the teacher would say, and this is a fifth grade teacher, like, oh, you know, the third graders are acting better than you. And, you know, something like that. And (laughs) I always thought that was funny because I guess it worked for some students. But for the other ones, like, all right, right, who cares? Third graders are acting better than us.
1: (laughs) I tell my kids, don't don't show you're crazy. Like we took pictures today. And like while we were walking from our school uh, across the play yard to the library, we're like, Skipping, we're doing our zombie walks. I'm just trying to get them to move or whatever. But before we go into the library, it's all quiet. I'm like, "All right, yo, don't show you're crazy. We're acting normal. We got this, you know." And so then they know, okay, calm it down. Like follow the rules. And I don't mean like, you know, don't be literally crazy. But it's, it's <laughs> kind of true. Like, don't go showing you're crazy to everyone, you know. <laughs> calm it down. There's the right time and place for it. And yeah, I remember calling calling them out sometimes. Like, yo, the first graders are walking in straighter lines. What is this? But that's why I think relationships important because, you know, the, if the person that's saying that and you have a good relationship, you know, it's because they know you can do better. If you don't have a good relationship and they're saying, so so is doing better than you are. It's like, well, I don't even care now because I just feel defeated, you know?
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Um another school wide strategy that the study recommended was implementing a morning greeting or some kind of welcome activity where students and faculty can greet each other, you know, every school morning you know, at the gates. And so prior to the pandemic, the previous school I was at, they basically had teachers at the front gate greeting all the families, even if they weren't, you know. Those weren't their kids or those weren't their families. Um, It was usually the kindergarten teachers because their classes are right by the front entrance. But it was a very friendly experience. And I'm sure a lot more could have been done or changed. And I will say that I did enjoy when... Uh, our school would try and provide something for the families like donuts or coffee or just something. uh, We had a small table set up right there at the entrance and it was nice. You know, if I was a parent coming in, all right, look, here's coffee, here's donuts for me. How nice. And it was, it was mostly done for assembly days. I overall thought it was a good experience and there were other times where we had the same table set up at the front and there was like an appreciation box where families could write an appreciation post for anybody, you know, another family, another teacher, etc. There's other times where we had food donations where family could drop off or pick up food right there at the front, sort of kind of like take whatever you need. Um, And so... Has your school ever done something like this where I guess they kind of like thank the families for all that they've done or maybe the families thank the teachers?
1: That is absolutely awesome. I love that so much. Um, our school doesn't necessarily do that. I will say in the morning the kids get their breakfast and they go out for like a morning recess. And so whoever is yard duty, like, uh, for me, I focus on that's my fun time with all of the kids. That's building relationships with like the first and second graders that will eventually be my students. You know, that's, that's checking in on all of the kids seeing who's, who's kind of sitting in the corner a little quiet who's doing this and just, you know, having fun seeing where people are at. Um, Family wise, my new principal, she's huge on family nights and I absolutely love it. So we always have a reading family night and a math family night where they just come in and they get uh, cookies and water and we just go over. We teach them games that they can play at home with their families. And we've had a massive success. Even during the pandemic, we managed to pull off a Zoom version of one of these and it was awesome.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun, like a game night. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually.
1: It was. We split up into like grade levels, you know, and just teaching different games that you can play with each other. And so they all felt like cool that they knew they learned this new game. You know, meanwhile, we're just teaching them how to do math facts, you know? Mhm.
0: Uh, and I'm sure it's even more fun when you're making a competition, like you said, like, amongst the like, grade levels. That sounds, that sounds nice.
1: Yeah. Well, that's where like, okay, second grade gets to go with third grade. So they feel like all big and macho. And how cool is that? You know, and then our third graders, they love that. Like, oh, they get to actually teach the second graders like how to do something. So they feel like they're, you know, big and smart and get to help. So yeah, it's really fun for everyone.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, the the whole idea of this like morning routine, the morning greeting is kind of like waking up on the right side of the pillow. You know, we want everyone to start off on the right foot, and the whole fostering the whole positive school culture and climate. We want the warm welcome experience from the beginning. As soon as the parent or the families come in, like all right, they're greeted by smiles from the teacher and smiles from you know the, the faculty, and it's supposed to lead to higher attendance and better you know positive behavior. You know, we let the families and know that we appreciate them and that we're happy to have them come to the school. We're happy that your son or your daughter is attending our school. Then it's a nice warm feeling for everybody. Do you you have a morning routine maybe in your classroom that you do before you even start like academic part?
1: Well, first, I mean, I'm sure just by doing that alone, attendance has gone up dramatically because who isn't going to show up (laughs) when they know someone that cares about them and they're excited to see them is waiting for them you know? So that's awesome. And I think that more schools should work on implementing something like that. Um, me and my classroom, well, uh, pre COVID, I would have a, we'd walk our kids up and they would have a morning way to say hi. They got to pick like if they wanted a high five, a hug, a fist bump, a wave, a uh, dance thing, you know? So I got to see each and each and every kid and say good morning to them and see how they were feeling. And you can tell so much in just a small little good morning greeting like that, you know? So I think it's very important now with everything so different. And granted, I do have my kids in class, so we tend to just make the first 15 minutes cause that's when they get to eat their breakfast. I just play music and we just talk and hang out. Uh, we talk about feelings, but it's more so, I'm guiding them to kind of talk about feelings rather than the morning meeting. was like, okay, how are you feeling today? On a scale of one to five, da, da, da. but we're still getting the same stuff across. It just feels a little more personal since there is only like six of us.
0: Hmm. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, the, the last thing that the study recommended for schools to do is just trying to create like interest groups for both the students and the families. So like you said earlier, you have all those like game nights or study groups, um, or some kind of inclusivity clubs. You know, the, the possibilities are endless. And I know you said a few of them already. Um, but overall, you said they've been a huge success, right? Do, do you think they'll keep continuing that? I mean, after... Yeah this whole pandemic is over
1: <laughs> yes no absolutely and the fact that we pulled it off on zoom we're like oh we can do anything like <laughs> we got this sure. so i'm i'm super excited and i have no doubt that we'll be adding more i think because we have such great attendance like our families show up and they have fun and they like it and so why not do more to help build that community and we're also building family connections. You know, the family has somewhere that they can go and do something together. And that's massive. Cause I feel like most families right now, when everyone's home, they tend to be in each other's in different rooms or on different tablets and phones and whatnot. And this is like, Hey, we're going to actually hang out and do something together. So I really like that. I feel like we're doing, we're killing two birds with one stone there.
0: <laughs> and then, yeah. And then even for those who work maybe with a younger age group or uh, even special needs, I would start off by first identifying emotions first. I think you, you talked about that already. So for example, some kids might get angry, but not know that they're angry. Uh, so I use a lot of visuals mm-hmm. and icons and videos. And i like, all right, friends, you know, this is what maybe angry looks like. This is what sad looks like. And it's helping them identify the feelings, not only for themselves, um, because they're not going to be in a situation where I have them in front of a mirror like, Hey, look, this is what you look like when you're sad. Or this is what you look like when you're upset. I just want uh, kind of to identify the feelings first, uh, the videos and icons, like I said. So this is a great opportunity for role-playing and having students act out maybe inappropriate behaviors and then model a healthier alternative. And again, these are great self-coping strategies that we can teach. And it's always a lot of fun. Um, especially even with the older kids, no matter what grade level you teach, like, all right, friends, let's act out of inappropriate behavior. All right, what can we do next time? What's a a healthier alternative? Um, And I think you seem like the kind of teacher who would enjoy these role-playing activities in your classroom. Have you done something like this?
1: Um, Yes. And again, uh, primarily with my first graders, but I still do it sometimes with my third graders. Uh, showing. So for example, if we were on carpet for morning meeting, whenever we leave the carpet to go back to our desks, you know the first couple of weeks we're doing procedures so it's like okay we stand up we walk with our hands behind our back bubbles in our mouth to our seats and of course they like don't do that so i call them back and it's like okay and i'm very dramatic too like oh my gosh what in the world i am pretty sure those were not our like rules or whatever and so i say okay can someone tell me one of the ways so we go we end up going through how we're supposed to do it And then I have someone show me how to do it correctly. And then they come sit back down and then I have someone show me, okay, how do we not do it? which of course they have a blast doing. And as they go and obnoxiously do whatever they're doing, I'm just like pretending like I'm just fainting. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then they think it's hilarious. And then we get to all show how to do it the correct way. And in first grade, we would do that with pretty much everything as far as like how to take out your pencil from your desk, you know, or when we're feeling upset about something. What should we uh, how should we act? Should I yell at someone because they upset me? And it's like, oh, gosh, no, I wouldn't want that. You know, and how should we react and all that? So, yeah, definitely <laughs> do the role. <laughs> <play>. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, uh, that's one thing I got to see in your YouTube videos. Uh, I got to see your dramatic chops and see you. <laughs> Being really, really exaggerated and dramatic with these uh, role playing. Uh kids
1: <laughs> yes we definitely we have a lot of fun and it, but it makes them able to feel free expressing their emotions because they see me express so many emotions you know
0: yeah well as we wrap this episode up is there any advice that uh, maybe you would give to new teachers or maybe even just those thinking about entering the field of education and I'm quite sure especially with all the craziness that's going on <laughs>
1: um if if you love kids and you truly just want to be there for kids to help them and not kids and little kids, just, you know, young adults, whatever it is. If your heart is there, go for it. There's always going to be fiery hoops and all this stuff to jump through, but you'll figure that out. And from veteran teachers, like look where we're at now, pandemic, all the veteran teachers are now first year teachers. Again, we're all on the same playing field. So don't let the fear of, uh, expectations or whatever hold you back if your heart's in it go for it you'll do great
0: <laughs> thank you all right well thank you this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society I want to say thank you to our guests Taylor Blair and most importantly you the guests. see you next time thank you thank you thank you